find a seat this morning. And if you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you to grab it. And we are going to be in the Old Testament book of Judges. And we're starting a brand new series of messages today that we're calling People of the Fine Print. People of the Fine Print. And we're going to be in Judges this morning. Judges chapter number three. People of the fine print, and uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about some lesser-known individuals in Scripture that made a dramatic impact for the glory of God and how God can use us in spite of us. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Judges chapter number 3, and we'll start reading in verse number 12. If you're ready, would you say amen? The Bible says this, and the children of Israel did evil again. Everybody say again. In the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Everybody say a deliverer. Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And we'll stop right there. We'll continue on as we study this morning. But today I want to bring a message that I'm calling this, Expect the Unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Judges chapter 3. Let's have a word of prayer and we will dive in this morning. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our church. And God, we just want to praise you and thank you even specifically for last week that we had three people pray to accept Christ, two people following you in baptism. And God, we just want to thank you and praise you for that. God, we're praying that you would meet with us this morning. God, I pray that we would be able to focus on your word today, that we would understand uh, the truths and the significance of this passage for us today. And uh, we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like anytime you download a new app these days or maybe sign up for a new service, there is a very lengthy terms and conditions contract. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's always that terms and conditions contract. Uh, how many of you would be honest today and say, um, I do not read that terms and conditions contract. I just, I just signed my life away. I don't know what that says. And, uh, you know, most all of us have probably signed up for uh, iTunes and signed the iTunes agreement at one point in our lives. If you have an iPhone or signed up for iTunes and you probably don't know what all that terms and conditions contract actually says. This is an excerpt from the iTunes, uh, iTunes agreement. It says this, you also agree that you will not use these products for any purposes prohibited by the United States law, including without limitation, the development design, manufacture, or production of nuclear missiles or chemical or biological weapons. And so I don't know if anybody was planning on doing that today, but you signed that iTunes agreement, and so you are not allowed to do that, okay? And uh, the truth is, a lot of times we kind of overlook 
the fine print. We, we kind of just pass on that fine print. I think even spiritually speaking, even when it comes to scripture, we are, are very uh, well familiar and acquainted with some of those prominent characters in the Bible, right? Uh, Abraham and Moses and, and uh, Peter and Paul and John. And we know some, uh, some of these uh, larger than life characters, but often we overlook some people of the fine print. But I want you to know this morning that you do not have to have your name in the spotlight to be significant in the eyes of God. You do not have to be someone in in a position of prominence for God to use you in a great way. God loves to use people of the fine print, lesser known stories to accomplish his great purpose. Warren Wiersbe said this, when God goes to war, he usually chooses the most unlikely soldiers, hands them the most unusual weapons, and accomplishes through them the most unpredictable results. I'm thankful today that our God is not confined to the boundaries of our expectations. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I'm here today to tell you that the will of God is far greater than anything that you could imagine. And I believe that God wants to do a greater work in your family. He wants to do a greater work in your marriage. He wants to do a greater work in our church. I believe that God has great things in store. But we've got to step out by faith. And God will often work in unexpected places through unexpected people to bring uh, some very uh, unlikely results. Now, today we're going to come to Judges chapter 3. And I think it's important for us to understand the context of the book of Judges before we dive uh, deeper this morning. Anytime you come to the book of Judges, there are a few things that you need to understand and note uh, before you can study this Old Testament book. Uh, One is that there is no central leadership right now in the nation of Israel, okay? Uh, uh, Moses is long gone. Joshua is long gone. Uh, There is a monarchy that will come. Saul will come and be king, and David will come and be king. But right now in the book of Judges, we have this 350 to 400-year time period where there is no central leadership in the nation of Israel. And so as you can imagine, uh, that meant that wickedness abounded in Israel, right? There's no leadership. Everyone was kind of just doing what they wanted to do. In fact, if you read the very last verse in the book of Judges, the very last verse in the book of Judges says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes, in his own eyes. In other words, they were living their own truth, to put it in 2021 vernacular. I'm just living my truth. You just live your truth. You can live their truth. And we're all just kind of living our own truth. But I want you to know today, truth is truth. We kind of live in this age and generation where it's kind of just everything's based on our feelings. And I I believe it was Soren Kierkegaard, that Danish philosopher in the 1800s, that kind of first introduced this idea of just kind of subjective truth. Like uh, truth is more about what feels right to you on the inside. But I want you to know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so what Jesus said is you can know the truth. So how do we know uh, what the truth is? Well, the Bible says in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so a great place to start is the word of God. And so in the book of Judges, we find there's no central leadership. Everyone's just kind of doing uh, what is right in their own eyes, living their, their own truth, and great wickedness abounded. This was a chaotic time in history. But God is gracious. I'll say it again for the people in the back. God is gracious. Aren't you thankful for that? And so even though wickedness abounded, even when leadership was lacking, God is still good, and God is gracious. And it says in Judges 2.16, nevertheless... Even though things were bad, even though things were chaotic, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. 
which delivered them out of the hands of those that spoiled them. And so God would raise up these judges. These judges were not so much courtroom judges. They were more like warriors. They were fighters. They were soldiers that would deliver the children of Israel out of the hand of the enemy. And so God, because he is gracious and good and loving and kind, he would raise up these judges. Now, uh, these judges were far from perfect. These judges did not have uh, always the best character. In fact, some of these judges, you would not want your kids to hang around. You would probably say, hey, don't, don't go around that person. But God used them in spite of them. And God used them and chose uh, to use them for a purpose. I wonder this morning, honest question to ask yourself introspectively today. Do you want God to use you? I think we might say, well, of course, but think about it. Do you want to be used by God? Do you want God to show up and use you in your place of work? Do you want to make a difference in your family? Do you want to make a difference in the ministry that you serve in? Do you want to be used of God? The Bible says this in 2 Timothy 2.21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. I want you to know today, God desires to use you for a great purpose. He, he wants to uh, use us to accomplish his will. And so this morning, as we look to Judges chapter 3, I want to give us three ways that we can be used of God. Three ways that God can use us to accomplish his purpose. Everybody ready today? Number one, if you're taking notes, three ways that God can use us. Number one, determine to break the cycle. Determined to break the cycle. Now, we're going to get to the person of the fine print in just a moment. We're going to study this individual named Ehud. But first, we've got to lay some context and groundwork. Would that be okay? And so number one, we have to determine to break the cycle. Notice verse number 12. It says this. And the children of Israel did evil again. Again. They did evil again. They were making the same mistakes over and over again. How many of you have ever made the same exact mistake twice? Anybody like that? How many? Three times, right? Uh, There's something frustrating about doing the same thing over and over again. It's something that you know that perhaps you shouldn't do, but you keep on making that same mistake. That's exactly what uh, the children of Israel were doing. And there's this common cycle that you can see all throughout the book of Judges, and uh, uh, you can see this as you study this book. It goes something like this. Here's the cycle. It starts with uh, Israel committing sin, Israel falling into idolatry. Then God would allow Israel to be oppressed. And in this case, we'll see it was the Moabites and the Ammonites, the Amalekites, that they oppressed the children of Israel. And so they were in captivity. And then we see Israel repents and they cry out to God. And so they realize, man, we don't like this. We don't like living in captivity. We don't like being slaves to another nation. And so they would cry out to God. And then God would send a judge or a deliverer to save Israel and to, to bring them back. And then Israel is faithful while the judge lives. Things are going well. And then what happens is Israel commits sin. And uh, then they uh, rinse and repeat. The cycle just continues on. And this is all throughout the book of Judges. They would continue to fall back into sin and continue to fall back into sin. And so often in our lives, the cycle looks pretty similar. Where we get victory and we're doing pretty good and then we fall back into sin. And we're doing good for a little while and then we fall back into sin. And there's this cycle uh, that we see taking place with sin. Now, I believe this cycle was taking place. You you say, why would they do this? Why why would they keep on committing the same mistake over again? You know, I think it's Albert Einstein that said uh, the definition of insanity is in doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Why would they keep on doing the same things over and over again? I, I believe two reasons. One, I believe the priests 
we're not faithfully teaching God's word and faithfully teaching God's law for the people to obey it. And secondly, the parents were not faithfully teaching their children and raising up the next generation like God told them to do in the book of Deuteronomy. And so we see the priests and the parents were not being faithful. And I want you to know the same thing can happen today. If the pastors are not faithfully declaring God's word and teaching God's truth, and the parents are not serious about raising up their children according to truth, and they're just thinking, well, I'll just let the church handle that, there will be disastrous results. And so we need pastors that are faithfully communicating God's truth and parents that are serious about raising up the next generation according to truth. And so there's this cycle of sin. I want you to see how devastating this cycle is. Notice verse number 13. Everybody stay with me. And he gathered unto them the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel in the city of palm trees. And so this king of Moab, his name was Eglon. He was a wicked king. He recruits some help. He gets the children of Ammon and the children of Amalek, and they come together, and they smote, the Bible says, uses this word, smote Israel. That word means to slay and to destroy. And so this wasn't just kind of a friendly exchange of nations. This wasn't just like a handshake. Hey, you guys, let's just all come together, and, and uh, you just listen to us, and everything will be fine. No, they wanted to destroy Israel. They hated the Israelites, okay? Make no mistake about it. The the enemy in your life doesn't want to just dabble in your situation. He wants to devastate your life and destroy your life. And so we see the severity uh, of this cycle. There uh, There was this smiting that was taking place. At the end of verse number 13, it says this, and they possessed... And they possessed them in the city of palm trees. Okay, and so this was uh, what we know as the city of Jericho. Jericho is known as the city of palm trees. It was kind of like a modern-day Palm Springs. It was a place that was beautiful and a place where people would want to relax at times. And I think it's fascinating because Jericho has a rich history with the children of Israel. Remember what happened at Jericho? Remember Joshua came and they led the, led the children of Israel around seven times and they shouted and the walls came tumbling down, right? And they had this great victory. And I think it's fascinating that same place of victory is now the place of their captivity. Where they were once victorious, now they're held captives. See, so often in life, we think that one victory guarantees another. But what often happens is a place of victory, the devil will use to turn into a place of vulnerability, in that place, in that season of life that we thought we were doing so good, and man, I was doing great. I was defeating temptation. I was getting victory. Now, all of a sudden, we find ourselves yet again in captivity because that same sin has resurfaced. In a place where I was once victorious, now I'm struggling once again. I thought I was doing pretty good with my anger, and I thought I was controlling my anger, but now I'm realizing my anger is controlling me. And see, what happens is a place of victory can come into a place of captivity because that's what sin does. It resurfaces, and just when we think, man, I got a handle on this, the Bible says walk circumspectly, be very careful, Uh, stay on guard against that temptation, because now they're in Jericho, reminded about God's great victory in the past, but now they're living in captivity. And they're living in captivity for a long time. Notice the next verse. The next verse says that they were living in captivity for 18 years. Uh, Verse 14, so the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. That's a long time to be living in captivity. This was a, by the way, uh, this would have been a miserable experience. Often the the, the Moabites, the Amalekites, and and the Ammonites, uh, they believed in child sacrifice to appease their gods. This was a wicked, terrible place. And now the children of Israel who were redeemed and, and had that exodus out of Egypt to serve God, now they're serving Eglon of Moab. They were serving the enemy. But there's good news. Are you ready for the good news today? 
Here's the good news. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead, he that is dead in Christ is freed from sin. Anybody thankful today for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, that sin is not my master. Sin will not have dominion over me. I can have victory through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so even when we feel like we're stuck and there's no way out and I'm serving the enemy and I'm serving my flesh, there is victory. There is a way of escape. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 133, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Iniquity is a big word for sin. Let not sin have dominion over me. And today we can experience this victory. We have to determine to break the cycle. I'm not going to keep on falling into the same sin, the same mistakes over and over again. I want you to see how they broke the cycle. You want to see it? Notice verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. You want to know how you can break the cycle of sin? You cry out unto the Lord. You say, I'm not strong enough. I recognize my weakness. I recognize my inability. I recognize what I can do on my own. And I need you, God. And depend completely on him. They cried out to God. And what did God do when they cried out to him? Verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. A deliverer. See, spiritually speaking, your success is always on the other side of your supplication. And so if you're serious about being successful and you're serious about uh, finding strength in your Christian journey, then you'll be serious about supplication. You'll be serious about prayer, crying out to the Lord in prayer, saying, God, I need you. I don't want to keep on uh, falling victim to the cycle over and over again. I don't want a place that was once victorious to become a place of vulnerability. God, I need you. Would you deliver me from this? This is what Paul said in the New Testament. He was talking about his struggle with sin. It was the same cycle. He said, I kept on doing the things I, I don't want to do and the things that I know that I should do. I'm not doing that. And what did he say, who will deliver me from this, O wretched man that I am? See, Paul recognized something that it's not about him just fighting harder. If he was going to break the cycle, he needed a deliverer. Can I tell you today that we need a deliverer and his name is Jesus Christ. And so we can break the cycle, not in our own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, he can give us the ability to be set free. And so today we have to determine to break the cycle. Here's the second thought today. Number two, if you're taking notes, we have to give God our weakness. You want to be used of God in a great way? Give God your weakness. Let's look at it in verse 15. Verse 15 says this, but when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him, the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And so we're introduced to Ehud, and he is our individual uh, that we're going to be studying this morning. Now, Ehud is a common Jewish name. There's been some Israeli prime ministers named Ehud. Ehud was a lefty. Uh, He was a southpaw. Anybody left-handed in the room today? All right, we have a few left-handed people. My son, Luke, uh, he throws right-handed, and he shoots a basketball right-handed, but he bats and he golfs left-handed. And sometimes there's a struggle that accompanies being uh, left-handed. Katie, uh, would you come up here and help me for a second this morning? Let's give it up for my beautiful wife, Katie. Now, Katie is going to help me this morning. She brought a football, and Katie's dad is a football coach. And so she grew up uh, a lot around football. And Katie can throw a football, okay? Katie, can you throw me uh, the football from over there? You, you back up a little bit. And uh, 
Throw me, throw me the football from right there. Let's, let's see it. Wow. Wow. Whoa. Uh, that was amazing. That was a perfect, perfect throw, right? But, Katie, I want you to throw this next one left-handed, okay? No, it's good. Whoa. There we go. That was actually pretty good. That was actually pretty good. Well, let's see if you can do it again. There we go. That's pretty good. You're kind of shooting it like a basketball, right? Uh, sometimes uh, throwing uh, with your opposite hand can be a little bit clunky. It can be a little bit challenging. The reason why um, is 90% of the world, or so uh, some surveys and statistics say, 90% of the world is right-handed. And so there's a very small percentage of people that are actually left-handed. Let's give it up for Katie. She's ambidextrous. She can throw right-handed or left-handed. But, you know, there's a lot of struggles that a company. How many of you are left-handed again? Let me see. Okay, there's some struggles that accompany being left-handed, right? We live in a world that was designed for right-handed people. Now, some of these things have gotten better, but I brought a couple of examples this morning. Uh, first, a notebook, right? That spiral is always right in the middle, always kind of bothering uh, the, the, the forearm of a left-handed person, right? Go to the next one. Uh, credit card machines always on the right side, so you always have to use your offhand to swipe a credit card. Go to the next one. A can opener can be challenging for, uh, does any of this resonate with any of the lefties in here? I see some nods, right? And uh, uh, there can be certain challenges that accompany being left-handed. Now, you might think that this is an insignificant detail for Ehud being left-handed, but as we'll study the, uh, the rest of this narrative, I assure you that it is not, that God was going to work in this detail. Now, all throughout Scripture, uh, the right hand was uh, a sign of power, a sign of strength, right? Jesus said, there are pleasures at my right hand. Uh, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father because the right hand typically is the predominant hand, meaning the hand of power. The strength is in the right hand. Ironically, Ehud was a Benjamite, and that meant that he was uh, a Benjamite, was the son of my right hand. And so Ehud being a Benjamite was the son of my right hand, although he was left-handed. But it goes a little bit deeper than just Ehud favoring his left hand. If you read the text in the Hebrew, it literally carries this idea that he was unable to use his right side that he was unable to use his right, right hand, that he was uh, crippled on his right side, that he had this physical infirmity on this right side. And so Ehud was left-handed, but he could really only use his left hand. So I want you to picture the scene. The Israelites are serving the wicked enemy for 18 years, and they finally said, man, enough is enough. This is terrible. We need God to do something. They cry out to God and say, God, will you please send us a deliverer? God, will you please help? And God says, absolutely, you can have Ehud. A man left-handed, and the Israelites are thinking, couldn't we get a guy with, like, two working hands maybe? Like, that would be, that would be nice, right? Like, if we could just have a guy that had two working hands, that probably would be better if we're going to defeat Eglon, the king of Moab. But God says, I want to give you Ehud. I want you to know today that God can use us in spite of our weakness. And that God has a purpose and a plan for us in spite of whatever physical infirmity that we might have. And God says, I want to use Ehud. I love what Ephesians 2.10 says. It says that we are God's masterpiece, that we are his workmanship, and that we were created unto good works. That God wants to use us. That God created us in his image. Can I tell you today that God knows everything about you? He knows if you are left-handed. He knows if you are right-handed. He knows if you are short, if you are tall. He knows if you are courageous or if you are timid. He knows everything about you, and he wants to use you and accomplish his purpose through you all for his glory. Anybody thankful that God wants to use us in spite of us? This is good news for us this morning, that God can use us in spite of our weakness. Now, this is where the story is really going to get interesting, all right? Everybody ready? All right, let's look at it, verse 15. 
And so at the end of verse 15, it says, And by him, Ehud, the left-handed man, the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And so every year they would have to send this tribute to Eglon. They would have to send this gift to Eglon. Verse 16. But Ehud made him a dagger. And now here's where some tension comes in the story. He made him a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length. That was probably about 18 inches long was the blade of this dagger. Okay, So he makes this two-edged dagger. And he girded it under his raiment, under his right thigh. And so he has this dagger, and he puts it uh, hidden on his right thigh. Ehud was about to go, and he was about to try and attempt to take out the enemy. This was an undercover, covert operation. Ehud is kind of like James Bond of the judges, okay? He was going to go in and, and carry out this mission uh, to take out the enemy. And he was going to go and stand before the enemy, but, but I want you to see this. He wasn't about to go and stand before the enemy without his weapon. He needed a two-edged sword. Can I tell you today that we cannot stand before the enemy of this world without our weapon? Because just like Ehud, we also have a two-edged sword. And it is alive. It is powerful. It can transform us from the inside out. What two-edged sword am I talking about? I'm talking about the word of God. And the word of God is our weapon against the enemy. And we can't go out into the world unprotected. We've got to bring our weapon. We've got to bring the sword of the spirit to uh, guide us and to help us when it comes to the onslaught of the enemy. And so Ehud takes, uh, takes his weapon uh, with him. The Bible says this in uh, Psalm chapter 119, verse number 11, thy word have I hid in my heart. And just like Ehud took that sword and hid it on his right thigh, we also ought to hide the word of God in our hearts and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly and so that we are prepared to uh, stand against the enemy. Now, notice verse number 17. Everybody with me? It's just getting to the good part, okay? Verse 17. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. Now, the Bible is very honest, okay? You can't say, you can't say that the Bible is boring. People say that the Bible is boring. They've never read the Bible. They don't know about Eglon, okay? And so if you're a Star Wars fan, kind of imagine Jabba the Hutt, okay? This is Eglon, okay? And so he comes, and Eglon is a very fat man. Well, by the way, in ancient culture, obesity was actually a sign of prosperity. If you were obese, you, had, you were a person of means. You had money. You could be fed whenever you wanted. And so uh, Eglon, uh, we kind of have this description of him. Notice verse 18. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. And so he gives Eglon this tribute. They walk away, verse 19. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. And so after, after Ehud gives him this present, he, he's gained access into uh, this, uh, this area. After he gives the present, he says, one more thing, I have a secret for you. And Eglon is like, I love secrets. And so he says, everybody else leave. I want to hear this secret. So now we have just Ehud and Eglon in this room. Everybody tracking? Notice verse 20. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat, and Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And so the Bible is making it very clear how Ehud did this. He took his left hand, disabled on his right side, took his left hand 
and he grabbed the sword on his right thigh. Typically, you would always fashion a sword on the opposite side. They would fashion the sword on the left side because you want to draw the sword across the body. And so when Ehud was going into the presence of Eglon, no doubt his security team would have been more accustomed to checking that left side for a weapon because that's where a right-handed would grab that weapon. But Ehud put the weapon on the right side because he was left-handed. He comes in and he has this access and entrance before the king. Uh, One commentator, uh, Michael Wilcock, he said this, if Ehud cannot wield a weapon in his right hand, all assume that he cannot wield one at all. This is why he is admitted to the presence of the king when he asks for a private audience with Eglon. Because of his deformity, he presents no security risk to the Moabite. And so watch this. Your weakness in the hands of God can actually become a weapon. The only way that he had access to the king was because of his weakness. I want you to know that when you give your weakness to God, he can use even your weakness for his glory. And that God can use whatever infirmity, whatever insecurity, whatever weakness you might be struggling with, God can use it for his glory, for his purpose. And so we see uh, that God was using the fact that uh, Ehud was left-handed. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven says this, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Aren't you thankful that God can choose those weak things to confound the things that are mighty? We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to be the most talented. We don't have to have the most skill. We don't have to be the greatest order. Hey, we can use whatever we have. Give it to God, and he can use that as a weapon for his glory. And so Ehud sees that God has a plan and a purpose for his situation. And so when it comes to your weakness, can I encourage you today? Stop using that as an excuse. When it comes to whatever shortcoming you might have or whatever insecurity you have, stop using that as an excuse to not let God use you. Don't use that as an excuse to not serve God because God wants to use us in spite of our shortcomings, our failures, and our weaknesses. And so today we have to determine, I'm going to break the cycle. I'm going to break this cycle of sin. I'm going to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, surrender to the Spirit so I can have victory. And then I'm going to give God my weakness because in the hands of God, my weakness can become a weapon. And this leads us to our third and final thought today. Number three is this. Then we trust God for the outcome. We trust him. We trust him for the outcome, not in ourselves, not in what we can do, but we trust God for the outcome. Now, I want us to see how this story concludes. Everybody with me? Notice verse 22. And the haft also went in after the blade, the haft, the handle of the, of the dagger. And the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. And so, again, the Bible's not leaving out the gory details, okay? Uh, the Bible's giving us all the insight here. He, he stabs this man, and, and the sword stays within. In verse number 23, Then Ehud went forth the porch and shut the doors of, of the parlor upon him and locked them. And when he was gone out, his servants came. And when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they said, Surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. In other words, they thought, Eglon's probably using the restroom. Okay, so let's just give him some privacy. Okay, that's what they thought. Verse number 25. Everybody enjoying this story this, this morning so far? Okay. And verse 25. And they tarried till they were ashamed and embarrassed, and they said, Behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor before. Therefore they took a key and opened them, and behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried and passed uh, beyond the quarries and escaped unto Sariath. And so he escaped. Ehud had the courage to pull this off, 
Ehud had the courage to uh, escape, and God delivered him out of it. Now, I want you to see two things in closing, okay? Everybody hang with me. Two things in closing. What happens when we trust God for the outcome? What happens in life when we say, God, I'm trusting you and not myself? Okay, two things will happen. Everybody with me? Two things will happen. First, you will influence people. You're going to influence people. Okay, I want you to see in the text. Notice verse 27. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mountain, and he before them. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him. These were the same Israelites that were serving the enemy for 18 years because they were scared. They didn't like the position that they were in. Their sin led them to captivity. They were comfortable in that nature for 18 years. They weren't making any changes. They weren't willing to fight back Eglon. But now because of one person, because of Ehud, because of his courage, and because of his ability to trust God for the outcome, now all the children of Israel said, hey, we're with you. Let's go. Let's take out the enemy. Hey, we want to support you. We're, we're in this. We're behind this. Let's go. His decision had a great impact on all the people. Influence. Can I tell you today that people are lo looking for, they're searching for influence. People want and crave influence. That's why if you ask a young person today, perhaps in elementary school, one of the most desired career paths, they'll say, I want to be an influencer. I want to influence. You can go and you can buy Instagram followers. In fact, I read recently that companies and businesses will spend $5 billion every year on Instagram uh, influencers to say, hey, promote this, promote this. We crave influence. But I want you to know that influence spiritually is something that God has commanded us to do. We are the salt and light of the earth. We are commanded to influence others. Never underestimate what one decision for Christ can do for the people in your life. You say, you know what, I'm going to take my calling seriously. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to serve and watch how others will be influenced. Trust God for the outcome. You will influence others. But here's the second thing. If you trust God for the outcome, and here, here, here's the great part. If you trust God for the outcome, you will experience peace. You'll experience peace. I want us to see it. Notice verse 30. Verse number 30 says this. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. God gave them the victory. And the land had rest four score years. God ushered in peace for 80 years. They were in captivity for 18 years, living a miserable life because Ehud, this person of the fine print, because he took a stand, because he decided to step out and follow God's instructions. Now they had experienced peace for 80 years. Thomas Watson said this, if God be our God, he will give us peace in trouble. When there is a storm without, he will make peace within. The world can create trouble in peace, but God can create peace in trouble. So we can experience today. Nobody expected Ehud to be the one to bring about deliverance. Nobody expected this left-handed judge to be the one to, to bring about peace, but that's exactly who God chose. Why does God do this? Why does God choose to use people of the fine print? The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 1. I think this is one of the reasons God wants to do this. In verse number 28 of 1 Corinthians 1, in base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to not those things that are, watch this, that no flesh 
should glory in his presence. You know why God uses people of the fine print? Because he will get the glory. It's not about me and my strength and my flesh. And look at my accomplishments. Look at how strong I am. Look at how good I can do. Look at all the things that I'm capable of. God says, no, I want to use your weakness so that I can get the glory from it all. It's not about how great we are. It's all about how great he is. And so to give God the glory. Now, this story is not about us. This story really is not even about Ehud. See, Ehud was a temporary deliverer. All throughout the book of Judges, we see these temporary deliverers. You see Samson and Gideon and and Deborah and Othniel and Ehud. We see these temporary deliverers, but they are all pointing ahead to one true deliverer. They were temporary deliverers for a time, but then they fell back into that cycle of sin. They fell back into captivity once more, and so they were temporary deliverers. But can I tell you, there is one true and eternal deliverer today. In, in that person, in that one, we have salvation that lasts for all of eternity. And so today, can I tell you that our deliverer is not Ehud. Our deliverer is not a politician. Our deliverer is not Larry Elder. Our deliverer is not Gavin Newsom. Our deliverer is not Joe Biden. Our deliverer is not Donald Trump. Our deliverer today is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is our King. He is the King of Kings and He is the Lord of Lords and He is our Savior. He is our deliverer and He is whom we put our hope today. Our hope is in a Savior that is eternal. And see, Ehud could deliver the people from their enemy, but Jesus can deliver you from your sin. And Jesus is offering today eternal salvation. And Jesus wants to deliver us from this life to the next so that we can spend all of eternity with him. He is our deliverer. He is our savior. And today we can experience forgiveness and redemption through his blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's all about Jesus, and it always will be about Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.